0: Of green, red, blue, blue. Hello, this is Ed Cohen, your broadcast host today on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com, coming to you today from Ireland as well as Southern California. Our special guest is John Lee, who's the co-founder of a unique company called Culture Me. That's Culture M-E-E. Culture Me is one of the only travel startups in the world to have won global awards in both business and leisure travel. It was founded by uh, John Lee and his wife, Dee. Between them, they have traveled to over 80 countries and even brought their baby daughter, Rosa, with them, who by the time she was two, had already traveled to 23 countries. Can you imagine? John and Dee welcomed their second daughter, Esme into the world in March of this year, 2019.
1: I want to welcome John Lee. Pleasure to be on. Uh, Thank you very much for having me as a guest.
0: I'm really honored to have you from uh, halfway around the world, and thank you. So briefly, GlobalRadioTalkshow.com is a broadcast service of GlobalBusinessNews.net, and the publication Global HR News, which relates to corporate travel and corporate employee mobility, some or all of what we're about to talk about will be extremely relevant to our audience, which is global. We have, according to Google Analytics, 60% of the audience is in the US and uh, Canada. When I say Canada, I mean mostly Toronto. About 20% across Europe, 15% across all of Asia Pacific, and that's the fastest growing part, as you might suspect. And we have smaller audience in Latin America, about 4% and almost 1% in Middle East and parts of Africa. So our broadcast is free, access, free download, global, 24-7, 365. So, John, let me ask you a couple of questions about culture and why people should pay attention to culture.
1: Sure. I guess to start off, it's really interesting, uh, we've been around for hundreds of millions of years. We first started off with our individual personality. We then moved to our tribe, or organizational culture, as we call it today. But it's actually only in the last 30 years that national culture has become so important. And it's really because of two key drivers, the creation of the internet and the, basically the deregulation of the airline industry. And it's because of these two reasons, we now meet many different cultures multiple times a day whether it be in your local supermarket, for example, or especially in global business. Uh, even if you don't travel at all, for example, just think of the amount of cultures you work with around you. So why, why do people travel so much? What do you think?
0: What has culture got to do with it?
1: Well, it's a good question. I mean, as we see it, you know, for leisure travel, you travel for two reasons. You travel for uh, the, the place, uh, or you travel for the people. Maybe it could be to visit friends, family, or meet the locals. Uh, but for business travel, You travel for one reason and one reason only, and that's for people, because you're there to do business with people. So when you talk about doing business with people internationally, culture becomes massively, massively important part of that. So
0: business travel, leisure travel, it's all a business, actually, because there's a lot of money involved. So it's pretty obvious. Well, I think it's obvious about getting culture right and and what happens if you get culture wrong. Talk, Talk to me about what happens when you get it wrong.
1: Yeah, I think just look at the last week at Kim Kardashian and she had that example uh, of her brand that uh, she had basically a shape shape wearing brand that she had, that she released and called the Camino and tried to trademark it and it caused absolute uproar in Japan. Uh, and she had to change the name, but of off the back of it. Another simple example is uh, look at the importance of chopsticks or chopstick etiquette. Uh, basically, you had uh, one. Uh, Dolce & Gabbana released a video, on Instagram stories of a Chinese model eating Italian pizza with chopsticks, and it led to a countrywide boycott of the whole brand, and caused uproar in China, uh, leading to you know a loss of hundreds of millions of dollars of damage to the brand and what was one of their most important markets. Now these are just simple examples of one simple culture. Full pack can cost you hundreds of millions. So, what was wrong with chopsticks oh. and pizza? So, <laughs> but chopsticks, uh, chopsticks are very important in, for example, Chinese or, or Japanese culture. Uh, Many of these Asian cultures, you know, how you hold your chopstick, there's an etiquette around it. And, uh, I talked to, I give an example. We spoke to a business traveler a couple of years ago and he used the opposite end of his chopstick to pick up sushi from a shared, shared sushi platter. And he won a deal the next day. And we asked him, well, how, uh, what, what was the, the secret? And he said it was because he used the right, the right way to use the chopsticks, that one of the deal, it led to him building trust with his counterparts. Well, the opposite was the case with Dolce & Gabbana. Because they showed the Chinese model, you know, doing something, the chopsticks in a very disrespectful way, trying to eat pizza, uh, it just enraged the, the, Chinese, the, the Chinese people in the market. It really caused total uproar. So simple things like dining etiquette can really make a big difference uh, in between getting it right and getting it wrong. Boy, that's really dangerous. I had no idea that that would be so sensitive. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's a, you know, people coming to, for example, a simple faux pas in the US is to start straight away talking about politics. I mean, people can be sensitive in the US about that. So, you know, for other countries, they wouldn't be. So it's funny, you know, it's a, it's a bit like, I mean, imagine doing business blindfolded. That's what it feels like to do business if you don't try to understand the cultures you're going to do. Uh, to do business with. Uh, I mean, a funny example is, I mean, imagine doing business naked in a sauna. (laughs) I mean, there's two million saunas in Finland. So the chances are, if you're doing business there in Finland, you may run into a a sauna at some stage. But imagine what that feels like for your listeners. So I was
0: reading something somewhere about some on that topic. In Italy, there was a, a person who went into a sauna dry and then didn't put a towel down they just sat bare on the wood and the people who were in there were offended and and you know disgusted and made her leave (laughs) so so that is a cultural faux pas for sure (laughs) weird okay so personality what does personality have to do with culture
1: it's a good question, uh, I mean, if I'm trying to think back to all of us that have ever traveled before, it's, it's quite interesting. We're 50% our personality, 50% our culture. And sometimes in certain situations, personality comes through more, in other situations, it's the culture. And I'll give you a very simple example. Let's say you spent months building up a great relationship with a Japanese counterpart, and the next thing you went over to Japan, and you got the business card, and you threw it across the table when you meet them for the first time. You've just immediately oh. tanked your whole opportunity of doing a deal, and that's where, for example, the importance of business cards in Japan are hugely important. So it's a it's a case of being, uh, you know, very conscious of both the personality and the cultural aspects. So do country so countries have a personality, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, and that's where you know the likes of, for example, personality tools or culture models can really come in people have done researchers on this, and you see when you ask and put questions to all the different people of the population, you start to see a trend. So for example, Dutch people can be very direct. You know, they get straight to the point in business meetings. Or, you know, you mentioned uh, Italy, for example. There's a great saying in Italy, sign language is useful for the deaf, but vital for Italians. <laughs> so the Italians use lots of energy in their communication, lots of hand gestures, lots of emotion. You compare that to, for example, Finnish people. Uh, and An introverted Finn looks at his shoes when he's talking to you. An extroverted Finn looks at your shoes. So <laughs> Finnish people are not very extroverted in that respect. And uh, a Finnish friend used to tell me that, uh, he'd basically spend half an hour with a friend and not talk at a pub, for example, having a drink. Uh, whereas for me, I'm Irish. I can't go for more than 30 seconds without talking. So, yeah, you know, there does tend to be cultural tendencies uh, across these different countries. And that's something that is uh, becomes very, very fascinating to be curious about, to try and understand. Well, let's go back to the Italians and, and
0: hand signals or talking with their hands and other body behaviors, if you will. Talk to us about that for a sec.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, an Italian we spoke to said, if you tie my hands behind my back, I can't talk. <laughs> it's fascinating because you know, so much of our communication, it, it's uh there's a great thing, um, I'm sure you've heard of it, but 90% of our communication is nonverbal. But in the US and in the UK and Ireland, uh, we tend to focus on the 10% that comes through words. But in many other countries, you know, Italy for example, how much they use to communicate with their body, with their uh, body language. Or for example, in Asia they do it differently as uh, a great saying in in Japan, uh, the eyes speak as much as the mouth. So in Japan they spend a lot of time focusing and and reading the body language even just the eyes. So so much can be communicated through just the eyes rather than just the words. So I think that's where there's a whole world opens up to you that you can become so much more culturally intelligent. And more capable when I mean, traveling or doing business around the world or with other cultures, is you can just pay, just open your eyes really to the, to the power of culture. Let's circle back to this idea of touching, you know,
0: shaking hands or embracing, or when you talk, you touch. And now, in some cultures, whoa, that's a bad thing. But in, in others, it's actually wanted, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, my, my own personal experience is uh, in Irish culture, you know, we're the land of a thousand welcomes uh, is, is how we like to say to any visitors coming to Ireland. And a big part of that, uh, if you're, for example, doing business, is one of the first things we're going to do is uh, put out our hand and give you a good, strong, hearty handshake. Um, but then when I was traveling in Malaysia, for example, I, I, I basically got over there and everyone I was meeting, I wanted to shake hands with them because it's my way of creating an instant connection. But actually, especially with women over there, you're not allowed to shake hands. It's part of their culture. So even something as simple as that, at the very first moment you're about to greet someone, uh, you can get it completely wrong. And I've, uh, I've made the mistakes myself in the past. That's why I remember them.
0: <laughs> so tell me again, where is
1: it uh, forbidden to shake the hands of a woman? For example, in the likes of Malaysia, uh, in uh, many, of, uh, many of the Asia, for example, many of the Muslim countries as, uh, as well, for example, you've got to be careful. In certain countries, you're not allowed to shake hands with a the, with the woman. Uh, you have to sometimes bow down or put your hand, place your hand on your chest. Um, in other countries, you're, for example, you're not allowed to even touch the head of a person that can be seen as extreme faux pas. So there's so many different nuances uh, to it. You could really write a book on just even the touching etiquette around the world. Okay, so rather than read
0: a book, do, can you get this education through videos?
1: Yeah, very good question. You can get it through. You can get it through multiple places. A lot depends on how deep you want to go into culture. I mean, uh, for example, with their own uh, company culture, me, we basically have a say uh, a, a, a platform, a content platform. You can download uh, some of the key tips for uh, for over uh, for eighty different countries around the world. Uh, but for example, if you're going to live in a country for a while, you can really go deep in a particular book for, or whatnot. Uh, you can get videos. We have, again, we have videos ourselves. Uh, you can try and sometimes you might find them on YouTube, sometimes not. Um, it's, it's really very, again, going back to the whole history of evolution, it's only in the last 20, 30 years that the whole concept of culture people are waking up to. So you're going to see a lot more uh, kind of growth in this kind of stuff over the next 10, uh, 10, 15 years. Mm, yeah, especially online video, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think one of the things we often uh, advise people to look at is, uh, is culture models. Uh, so, I mean, we have them ourselves, but there's lots of different ones around the world that you have models where you can compare your culture to the culture you're going to be doing business with or traveling to. So you can compare, like I can compare myself as an Irish person or somebody from the US or Canada or whatnot to the culture, let's say, Japanese culture. And before you even go or even pick up the phone, you can see through graphs where the differences are. I think that's really, really powerful Um, that, uh, for me, when I was taught about these kind of tools, it really opened my eyes to, you know, the practical tools you can use to educate yourself in the different cultures you're going to be traveling to or doing business with. So let's
0: talk about Ireland. Uh, Is there
1: a difference between northern and southern or east and west? Yeah, there is, absolutely. So in uh, Northern Ireland and and then, let's say, in uh, southern, obviously, the Northern Ireland has, has its own, um, let's say, dynamics, uh, let's say, political dynamics, religious dynamics and, and whatnot. And then in, let's say, uh, the Republic of Ireland itself. Uh, in general, there's a lot of similarity across the people of Ireland, but even then, you know, you can have uh, differences between people in Dublin the rest of Ireland. But it's quite interesting. I mean, some countries can be quite similar across the country, whereas other countries can be massively different. Like in the US or China, there's a lot of big regional differences. Or, for example, if you look at even in the, like Switzerland or Belgium, there's big language differences. They speak different languages in different regions. But I think in general, you know, you see Irish people, we're very friendly, we're very indirect, we don't tend to like confrontation, very hardworking people and uh, and just good fun, good energy to be around as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you uh, more about Ireland. Um, so is it okay to shake the hand of a woman when you meet? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely is, absolutely is. I think uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're very big on um, yeah, we're, look, we're we're because we're so welcoming, you know. Again, some, something like the handshake, or if you get to know someone better, even uh, potentially giving a hug, maybe less so in a professional context, but certainly you become friends. Uh, you know, we are uh, we're very um, relationship oriented in in Ireland. You know, for us, it's a uh, of course, you know, we're we're there to do business, but we like to get to know the people we do business with, uh, and try to kind of build long term relationships uh, out of that. So, you know, for us, sometimes it might be going out for dinner or going to the pub for a, for a few drinks after just to get to know the people. Um, because for us, it's really important to understand, okay, what is that person we're dealing with in work? Uh, but also, what are they, let's say, outside of business areas, what are they like as a person? Uh, so connecting on that level is very, very important. And So that's the purpose of the pub.
0: Well, one of the purposes.
1: Well, it, it, it is. It's more than just a place. It's a kind of a social institution. And to uh, give an example, when I used to work in Dublin, You know, for us, it was very. uh, People would very often come on a a Friday at uh, you know four o'clock, four thirty, saying, "Guys, are we going down for a pint, a pint or two in the pub afterwards?" And you know, we'd all go down uh, usually. And it's not that we'd stay for massively long. We maybe stay just for two or three pints, but it was just a way to unwind, uh, to relax with the team, and it really helped build team cohesion. I mean, I'm a big believer in using the local cultural uh, elements to help strengthen your organizational culture or your your bonding with the team. And that was one way in the case of Ireland that we did it. I spoke to somebody in France yesterday uh, who was in in Grenoble and they used, for example, the skiing that was there to help bond as a team. So I think it's important to use these different cultural elements or places to help strengthen your organization culture or the morale of the team. Yeah, here in San Diego, we walk on the beach. Yes, exactly, yeah, there we go.
0: So, okay, so let's talk now, uh, let's go back to advice when it comes to understanding how to live like or do business like a local, that's really hard. And it it shows that you care, but it also can be what, off putting to some or it just depends on the culture, right? I, I guess in Ireland it would show that you're that a person is interested to learn or to be welcomed
1: that's exactly it. it you know, Just even making the effort can make a huge difference. You gave the example of the chopsticks in Japan, for example, just making that bit of an effort made you stand out. I think the most important thing is to be curious about the place you're going to and about the people you're going to, more importantly, and to just not take anything for granted. I'm mean, giving you a, a simple example, happened to us when we were in Bulgaria, nodding your head up and down in Bulgaria actually means no. In every other culture around the world, well, not everyone, but m- most others, it means yes. But when we asked the taxi, uh, we asked the receptionist to order the taxi, uh, she was standing beside the taxi, and we said, is that our taxi? And she uh, basically shook her head from side to side. And she was still standing there a minute later, and we said, oh, when is our taxi arriving? And she shook her side, head from side to side again. He said, yes, that's that's your taxi. So <laughs> even something as basic as a nod, to no, no, yes, no, 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 no. be something we take for granted. Sure. So I think the big no, thing is, is social antennas. That's the most important thing.
0: Social antenna, yeah. So th- we're talking about global mindset, isn't that correct? Global mindset from a corporate point of view.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. You know, uh, making sure that you, as a corporate, have you know, strong cultural intelligence uh, metrics and 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 you know running right through your business and your people, and that they're educated on it. Yes.
0: So uh, it's not a matter of thinking it. You really got to learn it. You got to know it
1: exactly exactly you know just as long as you make the effort uh, that's the most important thing and i think the job of the companies and of the hr functions around the world is to empower their their employees and their teams to at least be curious about it and be aware of it and to identify where is culture causing you know destroying value in the organizations where is the lack of cultural awareness destroying value in the organizations where you know where are the cultural tensions in teams or maybe deals lost or customers lost because of a lack of cultural awareness. So I think it's just critical from a company perspective to start really switching on to the importance of uh, of culture, because even if people don't travel, you can be sure they deal with other cultures, whether it's on the phone or whether it's in the office of the people that work there.
0: Well, not only that, but what about cross-border employment, cross-border teams, virtual yeah, e- teams, exactly. and how do, how do people communicate? I mean, sure, you can do Zoom link, uh, video link, um but you know people doing something <laughs> at the table might look weird to some people and and attractive or welcoming to others so how as a leader how do leaders approach this from a training point of view from a dealing and communicating with stakeholders who are different from you and me
1: yeah it's a very very good question i think it is crucial to really educate the workforce is, and you know provide training is massively important. You know obviously we do it ourselves, but there's lots of different cultural intelligence companies around the world, including our partners, offset of insights, for example, that do great training uh, on cultural cultural intelligence. Um, but I, I think you know if you look, it's really interesting. Ed, if you look at the evolution of work, you know we all accepted uh, that IQ was massively important, but actually. In the last kind of 15 to 20 years we've realized that it's actually eq or emotional intelligence uh, that has become the differentiator for the top leaders and the rest Uh, but actually when it comes to dealing internationally or with other cultures then its cultural intelligence becomes massively important and cultural intelligence leans on a lot of emotional intelligence but it takes it to the next level so While everyone accepts now that EQ is uh, just a basic need for top leadership, I think there's beginning to be a more awareness that CQ or cultural intelligence is the next step. And that's where the really innovative HR leaders or companies uh, are starting to kind of make that case and and really get a grip on it. Um, Because if you don't, it's going to smack you in the face and destroy value in your company. All
0: right. Let's just uh, step back and review IQ, EQ. CQ. Tell us again
1: about EQ from your view. So emotional intelligence. If you uh, Daniel Goleman is one of the top leaders on uh, emotional intelligence, and you know, emotional intelligence is uh, really about being in control of yourself and of your emotions and of the impact you know your emotions have and your behavior have on others. So things like, for example, self-awareness and things like self-control. You know things like empathy, for example. You know the great leaders uh, have these things like active listening. You know, the great leaders have these skills that really bring out the best of their people. It's not just about being nice to your employees. It's about really, you know, uh, having these extra layers of emotional intelligence to allow you to really connect deeply and empathetically uh, with, your, with your team, with your employees to help take them to the next level. Uh, because great leaders understand it's not about them. It's about how they help their teams perform. And so much of that is on the softer emotional side to get that right then you have a great chance of success. And just because somebody might be massively intelligent, as in high IQ, if they've got poor EQ, well, they'll have no chance of success and they'll actually destroy a lot of the morale of the team. So
0: in America, increasingly, multinational companies or big business have, have multi-ages in the workforce, but also multi-cultures. They're very much into diversity and inclusion as a strategy and tactic. So. The manager, for instance, in the US, in larger organizations particularly, they have to know this and they never even get out of their, their office,
1: right? Yeah, but the, but the funny thing is, it's just as crucial for the people that don't you know, travel around like that because if they deal with other cultures, which you pretty much, let's be honest, 90% of people in the workforce today in America do deal with a lot of different other cultures. You know, they have to be, those people have to be equipped with understanding the nuances of culture. Now, do they need to be cultural experts? No, they don't, but they at least need to know the basics and they need need to know what they know and they need to know what they don't know. And that if there are crucial elements or big differences between their culture and the culture they're dealing with, they need to be able to find someone that can help them or find tools that can help them, help guide them a little bit. Because otherwise, you know, they'll be making these chopstick uh, mistakes or errors that can, you know, again, uh, lead to, uh, just cause tremendous amount of frustration. And what's funny is that sometimes when people make these errors, they often think, oh, it's because of somebody else's personality. But actually, it might not be. It could be down to their culture. And you might just not not be aware of it.
0: So I want to zero in on the aspect of time. So like, for instance, I asked you to push this uh, by 15 minutes and you were gracious and accepted. But in other cultures, people would get offended by that or just say, no, can't do it. Cancel. And then some others would say, well, time, yeah maybe 20, 25 minutes, not 15 minutes.
1: So talk to oh, us about cultures and time. Yeah, that, that's a fascinating one, Ed. You know, there's, in, let's say culture around the world, you've got, uh, let's say, moni- monochronic uh, and polychronic uh, cultures when it comes to time. That's a technical definition of it. But basically what it means is that we all see time differently. You know, in Ireland, if I say I'm going to be there in five minutes, like that could be anywhere between 5 and 15 or even 30 minutes. Um, in you know, typically in Germany, in particular, there's a great saying in Germany, if you arrive on time, you're late, <laughs> you know, you, you have to be uh, just arrive just before that meeting and get the chit chat out of the way. Uh, and then of course, there's a, you know, the idea of in Spain or even Mexico, like the whole idea of manana, manana, people are very relaxed about time. If you arrive late, it's not a major deal, you know, we're not too press on it, you know, I, I think that there's such a whole goldmine of, uh, of just the importance of being of how we see time. So even you know, if you look about, let's say, talking about organizing international meetings, um, even if it's done by video call, you know, we might all see that particular time that the meeting starts differently. So in Germany, I'll be there two or three minutes before the meeting. Whereas for example, maybe it could be in Spain, I might arrive uh, five or 10 minutes and that might be acceptable. So let's talk about you.
0: You have been traveling around, you, you and your wife, and now your kids. <laughs> so what tips would you give to an expat, well, someone who will be an expat in the uh, Netherlands or Germany.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I lived, in, um, I lived in Germany, actually. I lived in Munich, and I also studied in Passau, uh, which wasn't about maybe two hours from Munich, and also lived for a number of years in the Netherlands. And uh, for me, what was very important when I, for example, moved to the Netherlands was to uh, really try and understand the local language. Uh, that was massively important, and really invested myself in that. Uh, And secondly, the other tip, which was massive, was to join a local sports club. So take a sport you're passionate about. In my case, it was rugby. Uh, There was not a huge amount of people that played rugby in the Netherlands, but there was still a a couple of local clubs. So I joined those clubs. And straight away, it was a great way to get to know the local people, kind of embed myself in the community, and straight away have a bit of a social net uh, and social network of friends to, to kind of connect with. I think that's the most uh, important thing as an expat, to try and really embed yourself in with the local people, local culture, local way of life uh, as quickly as you can. And for me, that was the key.
0: So it's really not a matter of forgetting your own personality and and your own needs. It's a matter of being distinct and being separate and learning about others and then remaining uh, your own self, honest to yourself in spite of the cultural forces. You know, how do you maintain the attitude of remaining confident about yourself when you're in a foreign culture?
1: Yeah, it's a very, it's a very good one. I think it is really important to, to stay true to yourself, but I think as long as you kind of make the effort to understand the local culture and the important elements of it, for example, and as long as you're respectful of it, you shouldn't have a problem staying, uh, staying true to yourself. I think uh, you know local people, also around the world, tend to be very forgiving. If you make a, a cultural faux pas, you know as long as you're seen to be making the effort, uh, well then people are very forgiving. Yeah, uh, they'll uh, you know they'll welcome you with open arms. Um, so I think there's plenty of scope to you know remain true to yourself. Uh, and, and just really most important is I think when you're going abroad, is, is just try and get into you know switch on that cultural antenna and try and. Keep your your mind and your your eyes open to what's going on around you. As long as you do that, you make the effort, well, then you'll be fine. Well, I love what you just
0: said. Switch on your cultural antenna. It's like, that's cool. I like that. All right. So now I want to talk about your uh, young daughter, Rosa. What did she learn? How can you tell what she learned? Uh, Was she able to articulate?
1: Very good question. We had various... uh, fascinating experiences with Rosa while we were traveling. Um, so as I said, she, as you mentioned at the start, she traveled to you know, 23 countries by the time she was 17 months old. Uh, initially, uh, you know, when we were in, for example, in Malaysia, she was still maybe at that stage a, a year old and we hadn't used babysitters very often. But then in Malaysia, a lot of them were Muslim headscarves. What was interesting, even though she was very young, she started crying out at that stage because she wasn't used, she could, uh, previous to that she had no identification of who a babysitter was, but now all of a sudden the babysitters had headscarves and she could identify and associate headscarves (laughs) with a babysitter and that got her upset. But she got out of that very quickly. We then moved to Thailand, for example. Um, And for example, one of the things that she can still do today is the Thai greeting. She bows over, puts her hands together and does And so these small different things with culture, it helped strengthen her, I think, made her more resilient made her more open to the world. We were curious what impact would it have. But she's turned out great. She's very happy and she's very contented. And I think it's uh, definitely give her something that she'll have to treasure for the rest of her life. So John Lee, how can people get in touch with you? So they can visit our website at cultureme. Two E's at the end, cultureme.com. Or they can also email me at john at cultureme.com. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-M-E-E.com. So j-o-h-n at cultureme.com and be happy to help in any way we can. They can also download the Culture Me app. And if they want to license their content for their own companies, uh, they're more than welcome to get in touch as well. I'd be happy to help or have a look at workshops or whatnot. But there's my email address and uh, the uh, the website address as well. I'm very happy to have a chat, even if it's just for having a, a talk about how they see culture as well. Very happy to uh, to reach out and to, to talk.
0: Great. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet you, uh, John Lee, and thank you for being our guest today on globalradiotalkshow.com.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Ed. All
0: right. Thank you. This is Ed Cohen signing off from California, and that was John Lee signing off from Ireland. Take care now. Goodbye. What a wonderful